Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford. And as we head into the All-Star break, we have got a great show with two very special guests. First from Raise the Roof, it's Bree Gonzalez. Bree, second time on the show. Welcome back. And uh, how's your baseball season been going? Uh, certainly better now to raise it on a nice little win streak. Feels good. Ups and downs with the team, but <laughs> it does feel good. I, I think you were on in the middle of the winning streak last time, I and was, now there are yes. there a new winning streak. And we mm-hmm. talked about like there's going to be you know weeks yep. where they might only win one game, and you're just going to have mm-hmm. to deal with it and not to freak out. And and that's kind of what they've done. And now they're back to back to winning ways. So all good there. Also joining the show this week. Uh, very much a recurring guest. It's Darby Robinson. Darby, how's it going? It's going good, Brett. It's uh, it's good to be on this uh, star-studded show right now. And, uh, you know, it's not a coincidence that the three of us are on here uh, going into the All-Star break as Mike Zanino was named an All-Star for the first time. Uh, and we are, uh, um, there's, there's several of us, uh, but three of the biggest Mike Zanino truthers out there on Twitter. So, uh we're going to talk more about about um, the All Stars and Mike Zanino in, in a little bit, but how how cool is that for you guys to hear that that Zanino was was going to get his his first trip to the Midsummer Classic? Yeah, I mean, I'm a Gator, so it's kind of a double meaning for me. And I don't know if we talked about it last time or if I even knew yet, but I had tweets from literally when he was drafted that I found. I had I I didn't even know that I knew he existed, but apparently I did. So, but a big Z fan apparently since 2012 or whatever it was, but yeah, I I'm excited. He he's having a really great year and after, you know, kind of not being as successful as I'm sure he knew he could be during his time with the Rays in, you know, his kind of home state. Um, it, it's good to see him finally getting back to this Mike Zanino. When he was with the Mariners, I I, I kind of enjoyed watching him over there, and always was like, oh, it would be great to have a catcher like him that you could like kind of dream upon. And the Rays have had him, you know, he traded for him a few years back, and you know the offense was definitely not great. <laughs> it's been pretty rough, a lot of strikeouts, not a lot of contact, um, and not enough power. Like he he's got some of the best, biggest raw power in the majors. Like he's already had like multiple 440 plus home runs. Uh, he has un- unlimited power. It's just the contact would always be the thing that was failing him. And he had a couple of seasons in Seattle where he kind of put it together and it took a step back uh, with Tampa Bay. But you still, I still like really enjoyed him because he, he always calls a great game. He's a elite level defender um, and he's just a really good guy. Like he just seems like a guy that, you know, is doing his best and would always try to contribute and would always contribute in the defensive side of the game. So we, even if he couldn't, even if his offense was like a black hole, it was similar to like Kevin Kiermeyer, where you'd be like, listen, he's at least dominant in one side of the game. And then even last postseason, he kind of started to put it together and really had some huge games in the playoffs and that's rolled over to this year. I mean, he's, he mentioned that, you know, Chad Matola and him kind of reworked his swing a little bit. He's reworked his swing about like three times in the majors. So there's only so many times you could do that before, <laughs> like every time it's like, all right, let's rework it again. Uh, but yeah, he, he's hitting amazingly well. He still strikes out a lot, but who cares? Cause he's, 
you want just when he makes contact, it's going to be an incredibly loud and uh, explosive hit. Yeah, I, I remember back after the 2017 season, my my current at that time favorite player on the Rays, Malik Smith, shipped off to Seattle, and here comes Mike Zanino, a catcher that we knew had a ton of pop, we knew was was a great defensive player, and then yeah, these the, those first two years, uh, he really he really struggled at the plate. I think we all saw the defense, and that's why the Rays kept bringing him back for you know several million dollars. And he was back again this year, and he's put up, you know, he's on pace to have the most home runs in his career. He's got a 326 ISO right now. Um, Yeah, like Darby said, still striking out a lot. But even if that power started to dry up a little bit in the second half, uh, he's provided so much offense uh, to this team, a 118 WRC+. He's been great and really really exciting that that he's an all-star. So we've got a lot of other huge news, really, this week including, uh, I guess we'll start with this, the the breaking news right before we started recording after Friday evening's game against Toronto is that the Rays have more than one All-Star uh, in Mike's know They also have uh, Joey Wendell going to his first All-Star game. And this one was kind of out of the blue. I, I think he's probably replacing Carlos Correa on the roster who announced that uh, he was not going to attend. He's, his wife or his fiance or wife is is pregnant and he wants to be with her during those, those off days. Very understandable. Uh, but Joey Wendell taking his place now out of all the raised position players, and maybe it's a, you know, a matter of what positions are needed on the roster. I did not think that Joey Wendell was going to be the next man up. I thought maybe you could see an Austin Meadows sneak in and who knows, maybe he will, or even a Randy Rosarena. I know Joey Wendell has had a great season, uh, but I really wasn't expecting this late call for Joey Wendell into the all-star game. Um, but man, is he deserving again? Another another guy. He's having a great offensive season, but has just continued to play incredible defense at third base for the Rays. Uh, it, it it's really awesome to see a guy that had one really good year for the Rays, then struggled with injury and struggled at the plate the next year. But he's turned into that player that had that first breakout season and grown from there. Uh, yeah, how how cool is it that Joey Wendell and Mike Zanino? I mean, I can't. I don't think you can pick a two more. Like a better pair of players to go represent the organization in Denver. I think going into the season, you probably weren't like really saying like those are the two. Like the the reigning defending AL champs are going to have two all stars. You're like, I, yeah, absolutely. Who? Let me Rosa guess. Reina. Brandon Lau, Randy, uh, Wander Tyler got Glass called now. up early. Oh man, yeah, Tyler Glass now for sure. Uh, Blake Snell. Uh, you know, depending upon when you told this person in the back in time, um, <laughs> maybe Nick Anderson. Yeah. You know, Diego, Pete Fairbanks, like one of the stable, uh, you'd probably get about like to like the 15th, 16th guess before you could be like, Wendell, maybe like you'd never get to Zunino. <laughs> like Troy but... is fun. He could win the fan vote, right? He could sneak in there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, but but very des- both very, very deserving. I mean, Zunino has been one of the leading catchers in all of the AL, uh, especially by F4. And then Joey Wendell is currently ninth in all of baseball by third baseman uh, at 1.9 F4. Like this is a, he's having, a, having an amazing year and he hasn't just played third base, but he's been really fantastic defensively. He's been swinging a good stick. It's a pretty earned spot if you really look at it. We are living in a universe where Joey Wendell could be a four-win player come season's end, and I think that's a universe. I mean, he got to 3.8 F4 back in 2018, 
Um, but for him, we I think a lot of people, even going into this season, kind of wrote that off as a as a one-off year, that he was a good player, a valuable big league player, but that he was never going to reach those levels where, you know, he three, hit 300 and, uh, you know, drove in 61 runs that year. I don't think anybody kind of thought that that was going to be the norm for Joey Wendell, and it hasn't been. But seeing him get back to those peaks has been, been really awesome to see. Bree? Yeah, I mean, pretty much like you guys said, they are just the quintessential Rays, just Rays baseball players. I mean, strong defense, the hitting will be there or it won't be. I mean, Joey, he's different from, you know, a lot of guys that you would think would be all-stars because he's not going to hit all the home runs that you see out of, you know, your typical all-star player. But, you know, he can sure get on base. And, you know, Zanino's the opposite. He's not going to get on base a ton, but, you know, he's going to hit the ball a long way, and both of them have really, really stellar defense. So I I just think it's a testament to the Rays that these two kind of, like, guys that came out of nowhere, they can develop and, you know, have these years where they are deserving to be all-stars, even if they're not, like, the huge names. So I'm excited to see it. The 2018 Rookie of the Year race is like really, you know, it it was great in 2018. It, it's taken a couple rough years, and now 2021 just really working out. Um, yeah, and Andrew Har's trying his best, but like the two real like ones that were neck and neck for that Rookie of the Year, both right on top, going to the Midsummer Classic. Well, uh, you know, Darby, we're not that far off from the Yankee Yankees fans tweeting about, uh, you know, mock trades where they send Andujar and try to get Joey Wendell from us. Uh, we're not that far off from, from that reality. But another really cool part of this is not only are Wendell and Zanino going, the entire Rays coaching staff is. And you know the relationship that Mike Zanino has with Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder. And, you know, we've heard the stories about Kevin Cash and Joey Wendell and how they how they joke a lot in the clubhouse. And I think that's really cool. You, you see Ozzy Timmons out there, uh, Matt Quattraro, Chad Matola, um, Rodney Linares. Uh, it's going to be really cool. All of those guys very much deserving. I, I know I missed a couple of the other uh, guys on the on the staff, but uh, to see them go out there and, and represent the American League is, is really cool. So, in other news, uh, you know, some other really except this, this is a great week for Rays baseball. Not only have they not lost a game yet at the time of recording, uh, which means they'll have lost the next two by the time you're listening to this. I'm <laughs> totally jinxing it. Um, Vidal Brujan called up the third uh, Rays top prospect. Well, probably fourth Rays top prospect called up this season. Uh, we, we see him called up going into the series against Cleveland. Going There, there was a doubleheader played because of Hurricane Elsa. And he gets brought up as the 27th man for that doubleheader. He stays on the roster after the off day as Mike Brasso heads to the IL. And he had a really great first game. A couple of really nice plays at second base. He drove in a run. Uh, he stole a base. And I think Vidal Brujan, out of, we, we knew that the group of Walls, Brujan, and Franco, that we were probably going to at least see two of those guys this season, but most likely all three at some point in some fashion. And I don't think anyone expected Bruhan to be the last to get called up. I think we all kind of thought he'd be first to get called up. And obviously things changed when Willie Adonis was traded to Milwaukee. Um, but then you kind of see Vidal Bruhan have to you know, take a step back. Walls gets called up to be the starting shortstop. Franco gets called up to play third and short. And he was the last one left out of that group of, of three position players. 
and he finally gets his turn and he takes advantage of the early opportunities that he got. And Bree, I know you've you've interacted with with Bruhan a lot on Twitter. He's been a great follow. He interacts with a lot of fans. And I think that's going to make him one of the easiest players to root for on this race team. Yeah, he's already my favorite player. As long as Glass now is injured, like he doesn't count. So <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've got Bruhan right now. But um, yeah, I mean, I've been so excited to see him. I I got, you know, flamed a little bit earlier in the season for saying I was more excited for him than Wander, actually. Um and I said at the time, I was like, honestly, I just think Bruhan's closer. I mean, clearly I was incorrect. One of the many things I've been incorrect about. I mean, you were only off by a couple of weeks. Yeah, I was. I was. But yeah, I mean, I didn't expect to see Wander even until like September, but whatever. They're here and I'm happy about it. But yeah, Bruhan, I mean, his debut, it was everything you want to see out of him pretty much, to be honest with you. Um, great defense. You saw the speed. Um, the bat came through. So I'm so excited. I hope he's here for a long time. I know you can't, you know, put too much weight into that, but he's already, like you said, he's going to be a fan favorite. He seems really excited to be here. Tweeted at the lightning. He's like, Hey, someone get me a lightning Jersey. So he's embracing the Tampa Bay area already. Darby, it's going to be really interesting, right? I mean, there hasn't been a major trade, uh, there's still, you know, there's only a few weeks left before that July 31st deadline. Where does Bruhan like fit into this 26 man active roster for this season and this season only? Because we've seen him play second. He came in tonight at the very last inning and played left, but it's going to be an interesting fit for at least the next few weeks. Well, I think a lot of his long term place seems like center field, which is the deepest position on the Rays right now. So, you know, Margot is hurt right now, and that's where he's like taking Margot's spot. But like, you're you have Kevin Kiermeyer, who's one of the best defensive center fielders in all of baseball. You have Brett Phillips, who's one of the best defensive center fielders in all of baseball, and you have Manuel Margot, who's one of the best defensive center fielders in all of baseball. So, Bruhan might be the starting center fielder next year potentially, but like right now, it's a kind of an embarrassment of riches. So you you would imagine something in that pile gets moved uh it's not easy i think the rays it's a good spot to be in because you know injuries do happen like margot is out right now so it's really great that oh you lose a really key contributor like manuel margot well here's one of the 30 best prospects in all of the game to come up you know you you have it like an injury or a ding up in the infield oh here comes the best prospect in all of baseball and wander you have a, a guy miss a start for pitching. Well, here's Luis Patino to come up. That that depth is really good. It's just, it does make it a little bit complicated. <laughs> it makes it complicated because there's still a lot of moves to be made, but not necessarily moves that have to be made. And so we might see Bruhan a little bit more kind of up and down, um, but he does sort of fit a good utility role. He's played third, short, second, the both corner outfielders and center field in Durham so far. So he has played around a lot. Uh, Walls is pretty much going to be locked in at shortstop because that's his best defensive position. Wanders played third and short, and he can also play second. So the versatility is great. And the fact that he's a switch hitter is really great. So I think they can use him a lot in maybe a Wendell or Brasso type of role. Uh, but yeah, his his spot, the roster, it's getting it's going to get really tight 
on both the uh, active roster and like the 40 man as people come back from injury as playing it, it's just it's a very tight situation but i guess you know I, I don't think neander's losing too much sleep over the fact that he has to make choices between which really talented players does he want to add in well like you said wander's not going down i don't even think a jared kalanick level slump which i don't expect to happen i don't even think that would send him back down to triple a taylor walls even if at the plate he goes through a slump he's already one of the best defensive shortstops in the big leagues. Like both leagues, AL, NL, he is right up there in that upper echelon. He had another great, really great play tonight. The range he's got, his arm, that quick release, like he is the best defensive infielder on the current team and, and really in all of baseball, he's, he's up there. So he's probably not going down again. Bruhan is another guy that maybe... Yeah, Mar- Margot might be on the IL through the trade deadline, which makes things a little tricky. Uh, not to say that they would trade Margot, but then you also look at, in center field, uh, Kiermaier and Phillips, the other two center fielders. There is a weird tightrope that you have to balance, and I, I, I don't like to get too much into the weeds with this, with you know losing the clubhouse and whatnot, because we've heard it time and time again with the Rays. But Kevin Kiermaier and Brett Phillips are t- very much two of... Not only the faces of the franchise in the public eye, but they are leaders in the clubhouse. They are, they bring energy in the clubhouse and in the dugout. And losing either one at this point in the season, and it feels redundant to have them both on the roster, especially when you're trying to fit guys like Manuel Margot and Vidal Brujan in there. But you've got to be kind of careful, like making a move like that. And, and again, I know the you know the players understand it, and as long as the team's winning, there's going to be buy-in. Um, but the team is right there in second place in the AL East. And Bree, Bree, do you think that losing either KK or Phillips could, could, could uh, I'm not going to say lose the clubhouse, but could, could change the atmosphere around this ball club? You know, that's one thing I was really concerned about with Adamas, honestly, because they traded him in that middle of, in the middle of that big win streak. And for me, he was, I he, I mean, I guess KK is of course the leader, but for me, it felt like Willie was kind of the heart and soul of the team. And you trade him. I was worried they were going to lose immediately, honestly. Like, I didn't think it would be an extended thing, but I, I thought there'd be kind of an adjustment period. And thankfully, there wasn't. And they seem to have gotten, you know, they seem to have covered that. Uh, Brett Phillips, especially, honestly, stepped into that role. So, you know, it, it's something that definitely could happen. But like you said, because of the buy-in, I don't think that it would break the team. So if it needs to be done, I mean, Neander's shown that he's not afraid to do it. Yeah. And I think if it needs to be done, it needs to be done. And I think it'd be fine. If the, if the Willie trade, if the Willie trade doesn't break the clubhouse, nothing. Exactly. There's nothing that can break the clubhouse. Exactly. That's, yep. it, like that. that is, I, there is no more core central cheerleading got like yes brett phillips is a huge clubhouse guy g-man is a huge fan favorite and clubhouse guy and kevin kiermeyer is the the veteran presence the leader like willie adamas is like the heart and soul of the team they traded him and they've not lost a beat so i think that's like the the ultimate like boom you can do anything you can tear any there's no there is no i think you can potentially a losing streak mixed with a trade can hurt things but i i think that's where you just trust kevin cash and the, those managers to just be, to be able to keep those those guys focused and and not spiraling like that. 
the, the other thing is, is it's not like you're trading a player and then all of a sudden there's a black hole at a position that's going to be filled by the next guy from AAA. Like when they traded Willie Adamas, it's like, wow, they've got three top like 100 prospects to pick from to fill that spot right away. It was Taylor Walls. He did great. Oh, boom. Now Wander Franco is up. He's going to play a bunch of shortstop too. Like the Rays, I think the players can, could see that situation play out. And I think something like something similar is happening in center field. And I think it's pretty crazy that all three, the group of Margot, Kiermaier, and Phillips are all on the roster still at this point. They've been on the roster together now for about a calendar year. They got Brett Phillips last July. So that, that's been that's been pretty pretty crazy, I'd say. And then, uh, yeah, it could get interesting as things head up and head towards the trade deadline. So we're going to take a real quick break and then uh, come back and talk a little bit about the All-Star break. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. It is All-Star Week. We've got the Futures game. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be a celebrity softball game this year. The Home Run Derby and then the All-Star game. First, guys, I want to talk um, about some All-Star snubs. So I think there's probably a couple Rays that maybe we could put in the snub category. But there's a couple players that uh, I'm, I'm really upset aren't on the team that, that aren't Rays. But can we talk about Tyler Glass now first? I, I, I mean, with pitchers, it's so easy to add a pitcher to the roster, to name him as part of the roster, and then quickly replace him. This did not happen with Tyler Glass now, and he's still yet to make his uh, his first All-Star team. Yeah, so my thing with this is if they didn't name Bieber, I would have been okay with it. But they named Bieber. He got hurt, I think, the day before or after Glass now did. And... He, he just he hasn't had as good of a season honestly they've pitched like about the same you know amount of games and everything but glass now was significantly better I thought I mean I think everyone kind of the numbers speak for themselves but you know here they name Bieber I'm not sure if he was a player or a committee voted but either way I don't really understand it like I said, if if Bieber's not there and it's all, you know, healthy pitchers, okay, I get it. But just yeah, I don't know. He Bieber is not better than Glass now this year. Did did any starter make it that's thrown less than Tyler Glass now in innings? Glass now's thrown eighty eight over fourteen starts, which is the same amount of starts as Bieber. Um Bieber's thrown a couple more innings. Um, it's only four less starts than the leading start getters, which have 18 at this point in the season. It's not like he missed half the year. And when he was healthy, he was among the best in the American League. He was still in an American League Cy Young candidate at that point uh, and maybe would have stuck up there even longer. Uh, stuck up there, that's a... Uh, 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 no pun intended there, as, as Garrett Cole started the struggle <laughs> in the month uh, of June and into July... Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those where, like you said, like Bieber is on there. They've thrown, they've had the same amount of starts. Glass now was better in his starts. Um, and, and, and it feels like Bieber was kind of picked because he's also the reigning American league Cy Young. And yeah, it's just, it, it, it feels like, I don't, I don't know how this works. And I know the players, you know, the players that vote on this or however the other voting mechanisms work. They're not going to sit there and think, oh, yeah, we can just easily replace Glass now. Let's make sure we get him on the All-Star team. Um, it's it's It just it sucks for Tyler because he was having the best season of his career um, that, it, that it went past, you know, the month of May. Um, and it's a, it's a shame. 
it's frustrating too because you know you sit here and you want to like be really upset about it or at least I do but like everyone's like well he was hurt anyways he couldn't pitch it's like yes but still I don't know all the more reason all the more reason to just like toss that on right like what like what are we doing here every team gets a nomination right so you like Detroit Tigers like woo Gregory Soto like an average reliever at this point like no no real offense but like come on uh we're not like the all-star game isn't this like pinnacle of like it's not something that needs to be protected, right? We already are giving a like a participation trophy in there. So like, just honor the people. And here's the thing too, like just, just as a, a very selfish reason for MLB, don't you want Tyler Glass now at the game? Just the gourd, the, the human angel that is Tyler Glass now, <laughs> the pinnacle of human perfection, just let him stand there and just look gorgeous. Like, that's all you yes. need. Why? I like the way you think, Darby. Darby, you bring up a you, you bring up a great point. I wonder if Major League Baseball maybe didn't want Tyler Glass now at the All-Star yep. game. I like the conspiracy theory. The yeah. comments he made right after his injury um, regarding the whole um, crackdown on, on sticky stuff. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Because like, like Bree said, Shane Bieber's in. I mean, if Bieber's in, Glass now should also be in. Um, but those those last comments he made make do make things interesting. I'm not just, putting my just makes you think on, but, though when Cole yeah. is basically a confirmed spider tack user, but he doesn't make comments like that, and he gets in. I mean, I guess you can't not have Cole in there, but right. All right, a couple other snubs. I, I, I'm I upset Yasmani Grandal isn't in. I'm glad Mike Zanino's in, and if Yasmani Grandal had been in, probably would have meant Zanino not in. Um, but you look at his slash line, 188 average, 388 on base percentage. He's got 14 home runs in a 134 WRC+. plus. His walk rate, 24.4%. Um, just an incredible stat line for Yasmani Grandal. And I'm, uh, yeah, upset that he's not in. Clayton Kershaw, though, is the guy that, I was very shocked to find out just right before we started recording that he's not on the all-star team. He has been right up there in the national league. I think he's sixth in the NL in F war four starting pitchers. He's got a three, three, nine ERA over 106 in the third innings. He started all 18 games. Uh, he's, he's not old yet, but it feels like he is because he's been pitching for uh, such a high level for so long, but he's 33 years old and pitching just as well as he ever has. Uh, and not chosen. Like, what else could Clayton Kershaw do? Because the other thing is, Darby mentioned, yes, the All-Star game isn't sacred, and a lot of times players get picked just because they've been picked every year before that. Felt like it should have been the same way for Clayton Kershaw. Don't know how he got left off. Well, it's the same thing with Mike Trout this year. He's been hurt for a good portion of the season, and he was doing great before that because he's Mike Trout. He doesn't not do great. And he gets selected for, I think it was the ninth straight season. Um, cool. It's great. But like, it's, it, he doesn't, deserve, like Mike Trout doesn't deserve to be the starter in the game and he's not going to play. And so it'll probably be Cedric Mullins who legitimately was a snub because he should have been the starter. He has been amazing for Baltimore. And unlike a lot of these bad kind of tanking teams that, that have like a, like, I don't know, somebody has to go. Like Cedric Mullins deserves to be a starting outfielder in the game. And so 
yeah, but but it's also it's like, oh, can you really blame like people for voting for Mike Trout? Because he's amazing. Clayton Gershaw is kind of the same way. Like, just just give it to him. He's like, he's a Hall of Fame guy. So just be like, whatever. Clayton Kurt. Is he breathing still? Yeah, he's in. Done. Is he not like terrible? Done. And this year he's great. He's like this year, he's great. So I don't know. He he's like back to his prime numbers and a lot of stats, like numbers that he was hitting in that run where he made seven straight all-star games. And then he quote unquote fell off where he put up ERAs of two seven three, three oh three, two one six, and three three nine. Uh, but he's back to like in strikeouts, back to the numbers that he was putting up in his, you know, his late twenties in that prime where he won um, three Cy Youngs out of four years and an MVP in there as well. Yeah, that one just like it, 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 I don't know how that happens. Like if it is players voting or uh, coaches around, I honestly don't know how it works, and I probably should have done my research. But like, what players are sitting down there, and you you hear what what they say about Clayton Kershaw, how he might be the best starting pitcher ever. And it's like you sit down, and you just you didn't vote for him. Like I I don't know how how this works. Uh, but anyways, any other snubs that you guys you wanna wanna give a shout out to? Yeah, I got one. Kind of, it's kind of the same thing as Kershaw. I thought Scherzer deserved to be named. I mean, I know he's not having like his best year, but like he's one of those. He makes it every year, and he's still pitching very well. I mean, I feel like he's got to be in there. But yeah. 98 innings, 266 ERA. <laughs> what else What else could these guys do? It's one of these things, too, where, like, the All-Star game, we just have to be honest with what it is, and it is a fan ex- ex- exhibition. But it does matter to some people. It matters to also, like, Hall of Fame voters, like, weird Hall of Fame voters, not good Hall of Fame voters, but, like, the weird ones that you do need to break the 70% threshold. And you can sort of see like people being like oh he only he didn't he only he like broke this streak of i don't know why the all-star game this is the big problem for me with the all-star game right it's like it should it is a frivolous thing that's for the fans and yet there are some weirdly important things there that shouldn't be there and so it's like if it is for the fans why not just i want to see i am a fan of baseball i love clayton kershaw and max scherzer bring them like I want to see them in the game so if they're even in a reasonable range I want them there and I I can't imagine there's a fan in baseball that's not like oh I just I I would love to see Mad Max show down against anybody like even in even on his like I don't know 60th percentile skills and he's done better than that this year he's still like Max Scherzer like there's only so many more innings we're going to get from these people so like we should, we want, I don't want to lose any of them. I want to see them all. Plus he's going to be one of those guys that might actually pitch there because again, the Nats are kind of maybe competing, maybe not, but like Juan Soto is doing the home run derby. Max Scherzer was actually pitched. Jacob deGrom isn't, and he shouldn't. So like, I like you're going to lose some pitchers. So just throw any pitcher. I'm like, just throw them in there and then see who sticks around after you know, they decide, like, right. I don't want to use, I don't want to throw, like, 30 pitches on my arm in an exhibition because every every pitch is is a gamble. But, yeah, Mad Max, 100%, always. Why not? Every Everything Darby said, I do, I'm looking at the rosters now, and it's pretty clear that one of the spots that, because every team has to have a representative, um, you have Herman Marquez as the representative for the Rockies. Their only other like true candidate would have been Trevor Story. He's doing the home run derby. He's not on the all-star team. Herman Marquez, 
very much deserving of an all-star spot. Don't get me wrong. He's got a 3.59 ERA where he pitches half, does half of his starts in, in, at Coors Field, and he's thrown over 100 innings already this season. Uh, but it looks like that, yeah, Kershaw or Scherzer probably more deserving at this point, even though they do, don't have to pitch half their starts at Coors. Um, but Marquez is going to slide on there. You Darvish has been really good. And again, I'm like picking between all-stars here. They're all great, but he was picked. Trevor Rogers, very deserving. Brandon Woodruff. You look at the guys at the top, where especially Kevin Gosman, Jacob DeGrom, uh, Zach Wheeler. Like those guys Wheeler. all very much deserving. But um, yeah, and, and maybe they'll get added. But at this point, uh, Kershaw, who's you know been to a ton of all-star games, might just be like, yeah, I'm going to just hang out with my family this week. Max Scherzer's like, well, you know, I'm looking at real estate in St. Pete for when the Rays trade me later. This <laughs> I'm only somewhat joking there. Um, let's go into the, the home run derby. Cause I think this is a really fun field. Another event that's, uh, it's supposed to be fun. I really don't care. It's like the slam dunk contest. Yes. I'm sure probably there are guys that pass in the slam dunk contest that would be able to, you know, perform better than the guys that do go, but you look at the home run derby and it's honestly one of the best out of all the big four sports in the U S all-star events. Uh, probably the best, the most exciting, the most easy to like, the, the best thing to watch on TV. It's a great television product. Um, the, I, I really enjoy the bracket uh, setup that they have with the timer. I think it just adds another level of excitement. Again, it doesn't really. I don't really care if it's got, uh, I don't know, competitive integrity. Like it is what it is. It's a home run derby. Just have fun. Um, but looking through the eight names, we've got Shohei Otani who is the hottest name on the planet and right now active best player playing with Mike Trout on the IL, uh, best player on the planet. Um, Juan Soto, who is, uh, you know, maybe going to be the best hitter in baseball for the next 10 to 15 years, you know. Ed Williams reincarnated. Right, even though he's competing against the likes of Shohei Otani um, in, in the first Wander round. Wander Franco. And Wander Franco. <laughs> Um, Salvador Perez, uh, the, that one, that name doesn't do a whole lot for me, but Pete Alonzo is the defending champ from 2019. We didn't have a home run derby last year. So Alonzo is still holds that. That's another Gator for you, Bree. Um, Joey Gillo is maybe the, has the most pure power out of anyone in baseball to see him go to Denver and do that is really cool. Trevor story is the hometown guy. I think it's cool to have a hometown guy in the home run derby. Again, I don't really care if it's the best eight home run hitters. Story can hit bombs, and it's really it'll be cool to see him doing it at his home ballpark, especially because it's probably his last season there. So, uh, with the Rockies having no clue what they're doing, um, Matt Olson, a, a guy that I think goes under the radar in terms of big hitters playing out in Oakland on the West Coast in a small market. So, cool to see him get a shot at this, and then Trey Mancini, who is a lock for comeback player of the year. Um, I think it's the guy that everybody's going to be rooting for that night. And so I just think there's a lot of really great storylines in all of these guys. And to see them compete on the same night is, is going to be a ton of fun. But I kind of want to do some predictions. So let's go let's go round by round and pick our home run derby champion. So we've got Otani versus Soto in the first round. What are you guys thinking? I have Otani hitting him farther, Soto hitting more. I'm I'm starting to I'm feeling the same way, Bree. I think, I think that's a really good prediction too because I I do a little bit worry about Otani's kind of longer swing. 
Um, I'll go with Otani, but that's going to be like, that's a crazy matchup. That's like the two most like pure hitters in this, in this round, like going against each other. So I feel like either one of those guys could absolutely win this one. I'll go with Otani just to mix it up. It's also one of those where it's like this, they're, and I think, I don't know how they're going to do it in order, but they're the first set of names on the bracket. If they're first, like it could be one of those where they steal the show and then it all goes downhill from there. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen this happen time and time again. Josh Hamilton in 2008 puts on an amazing show in the first round. Ends up losing. A lot of people remember that. Justin Morneau wins that home run derby. Um, but everybody remembers Josh Hamilton and, and what he did. Um, so I, I think that could be the case here. I, I'm starting to lean Soto. Um, we'll all keep track of our own brackets. We won't, we won't vote, uh, you know, we'll, we won't have one bracket. We'll all keep track of our own. Uh, the next one is Salvador Perez and the defending champ, Pete Alonzo. I think Alonzo wins this one easily. How cool would it have been if that was Alonzo and Zanino, man, that would Gator have been. Gators. Yeah. Yep. Two Gators. A Tampa native yeah. and a Cape Coral native. That would have been uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Would have been nice. But yeah, you got to go Alonzo here. Yeah, polar bear yeah. By, by far. He already knows how the rounds work too. Like I think that's a that's sort of like we saw this back when they changed it with a, a Todd Frazier who like literally right. was like gaming it, like being like, I like not the best power hitter there, but like basically was like, all right, the sec, I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit. And the second it's like kind of out, just throw me the next one because nobody really cares. So they're they're not going to like, <laughs> be like hey hold on too fast or just like just throw a couple um so i think pete has a really good edge here because he's done this before so i'm, I'm going polar bear for big time the only thing i can think of now is now there's a million dollar prize on the line that might you know upset some players like they might ask for the the rules to be enforced a little bit but n- none of these guys are on league minimum like if, if vlad jr had been in it like <laughs> That's twice his salary if, like, for him to win the home run derby. All of these guys are uh, making uh, several million dollars at this point in their career. Um, but still, you know, who's going to bat? You know, it's still a million dollars on the line. Um, but all in good fun. All right, next matchup is Joey Gallo and Trevor Story. Uh, m- probably some familiarity there for, for Story doing it in his home ballpark. Um, with a packed stadium, I think it's going to be really fun. Um but I, I don't think it's going to be so much fun that he'll beat Joey Gallo. So I'll take Gallo. Yeah. I, I'm. This is going to be my underdog pick. I'm going story here. I just think it, I love when the hometown guys do well and, you know, maybe he knows his park, gets amped up. Like to see it. I think my head actually here is story just because I don't want to take too many long swingers, but I really like Joey Gallo. So I'll go with the heart and say Joey Gallo here. Does Joey Gallo break 500 feet more than once in the first round? Yeah, I think uh, more than once in the first round only. I'll say, I'll say one. Isn't there also an award, a prize for longest home run? I, I could have sworn that was. I don't know. Maybe I'm making something up. It's a great idea. <laughs> there should be. There should be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you're listening, I know you're. I know you're listening, Manfred. So add that <laughs> to this year if you can. Uh, the last round of the uh, last matchup in the first round, Matt Olson and Trey Mancini. I th- head says Olson, mm-hmm. heart says Trey Mancini. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take Matt Olson, but 
I don't know. Who knows? Maybe that stadium gets going. Trey Mancini, you know, backed by the crowd, pulls it off. I'll be rooting for it to happen. Yeah. Same here. I'm going Olsen. I love his swing. It's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. I'm going Olsen as well. I I really want Trey Mancini, but like when in doubt, I go with lefty power. Yeah, I'm definitely lefty bias in a home run derby. It's just swings look nicer. You know, you just think of like Ken Griffey Jr. and some of the other great lefty swings, especially in the derby. In my second round, I've got um, uh, Juan Soto and Pete Alonso, and I'll have Pete Alonso taking down uh, Juan Soto, heading back to the final. Uh, rapid fire, guys. What do you got in, in, that, in that matchup on the other side? Long I know Dar- well. Darby's got something different. I, I have Pete over Pete over Otani. I think Otani right. steals the show with the, the length, but I think Pete's... Pete's got that swing where he can replicate it and just go over and over and over. Yeah. Um, On the other side, I've got Joey Gallo versus Matt Olson. And I'll take Matt Olson. I think Joey Gallo, he's a freak athlete, but it feels like he could just run out of gas, especially if he is hitting those 500 foot tanks. Like there's only so many of those you can hit uh, in in Denver. So I'll take, I'll take, yeah. And the other thing is like, yeah, they're going to be playing at a higher altitude. It's tough on the body. Like no humidor. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Or two with the balls. So those, those, and they, if they stay in there, that technically is longer yeah. before they can throw them again, if anybody's actually doing the rules. But <laughs> that, that would be potentially long. So a 500 foot bomb is like kind of not as good as like 350, just down a line, pepper in the pole. I'll, I'll take Olsen over, over Joey Gallo. Yeah. I'm taking Olsen over Story, but I think that'll be a better matchup than expected. Yeah. I I'm that. going Olsen as well. Wow, I'm going Olsen as well. So we both, we all, have, we all have Alonzo versus Olsen. and I think Alonzo wins it. I think he goes back to back. I, I think I, I know I should have had lefty bias, but I think Pete Alonzo, like we saw it in 2019, he has got the makeup to win a home run derby. It's not usually the player that you're most expecting to win it. It's not always the guy that hits the most home runs. Although we've seen Pete Alonzo get well into the 50s before across a season. And I've got him, I guess, yeah, call it back-to-back. It's been a couple of years, but back-to-back champion, Pete Alonso. Yep, same here. He's done it before. He, Like you said, he knows the rounds. I think he's the most prepared for it. So, go All Gators. Right, I'm, Matt Olsen. I'm going Matt Olsen. <laughs> I'm going Matt Olsen because I think there is such effortless power in that swing that I think it's really re- re- uh, repeatable. And... I think he might be able to shock the world there. Cause I think Pete will have a little bit of a pressure once it gets to the finals because it's yeah. now okay, he yeah. is the guy. So I, I'm going Matt. I like it. I, I like that. It. I'd love to see Olsen win. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. All right. We're going to uh, kind of do our mid season review of the Rays season thus far, but we're going to take one more quick, quick break and we'll be right back. We're back on raise your voice doing our, our mid season review. Darby, I think you were on last year for the regular season review going into the postseason where we kind of made up um, some awards to give out to raise players. We're going to do some similar stuff here and then wrap up the show, let everybody raise their voice with some bold predictions um, for the second half. So let's start off with most disappointing player on this raise team. And and Darby, uh, we'll start with you. Now you got to think back because it's been a little while since this player has been on this team. But full mea culpa with, with Brett, though I'm going to take him with me under the bus. Uh, we were 
driving the train right at the head, shoveling coal into the engine on the Yoshi Sotsugo breakout bandwagon. There was a lot to love under the numbers, under the hood last year. It did not translate at all. Like he, he, he just was too passive and also swinging at bad stuff. The power was completely evaporated. Um, and you could just, he was just overmatched by any fastball, like any, any fastball of any speed, he couldn't catch it, uh, which made him a really easy out because you're just, that's just not the modern major league game. And it was really unfortunate because he, he took a major step back from last year. And, and there was a lot of, there was a lot to like from last year's version of Yoshi Sutsugo. Like he adjusting to a new league, a new country with a pandemic, all of that stress. And he was still like in the nineties of WRC plus, and he still had showed off some power and he still did some things that you're like, okay, this, there's something to build off of here. It was, it was a disappointing first year, but I'm still like, this is a guy that I would absolutely buy. If I, if he was not on the raise, I would be like, this is a buy low player. This is a bounce back candidate. It has not worked out really well. He got DFA'd. He then went to the Dodgers and the Dodgers are like, Hey, we're also a really smart team. We're going to give them a shot. And you're like, maybe they can fix them. And it has not gone well over there either. And he just recently got DFA and he has accepted his assignment. So he's now with Oklahoma City, the AAA affiliate of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And so it's a really kind of sad, uh, disappointing year because I really had high hopes for Yoshi. And I think at this point, it's, it's over. Like it's, I don't know, like maybe I hope that in AAA he can kind of feel a vibe. I really thought actually he could have done really well in Durham to get like a good feeling about playing baseball again back. Um, I don't know what the Oakland, Oklahoma City vibe is in AAA over there, but I, 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 I wish him the best, but definitely the most disappointing Rays player for me. Uh, just a big miss, big miss for me. And uh, almost as big as any Yoshi swing on a fastball of 94 miles an hour. <laughs> I mean, it's a player that's probably one of, if not the most disappointing free agent signing in franchise history. Um, so to put that in the context of this season, yeah. Uh, Brie, Brie, I'll let you go next. Uh, I think you've got another uh, g- good answer for this. This award's not a fun award. We're not, we didn't start off with a. We probably should have started with no. a fun one. Um, <laughs> We're getting it out of the way. We're getting it out yeah. of the way. Yeah. Uh, Bree, who do you have for for most disappointing player that we can call up to the stage? <laughs> this, this award too. So the player I chose for this award, I have been defending all year, and I'm going to continue to do so because they are significantly better than they've been playing. Um, and I'll also say I just. Don't I think this award will not go to him in the second half. Um, that would be Mr. Brandon Lau. He he's still a very good player. He still is essentially an everyday player. Well, more or less. But I mean, just last year he was an MVP candidate. He was eighth in MVP voting. This year we just aren't seeing that in this first half. I mean. You know, not to harp on batting average, but like his batting average in 2019 was 270, 2020, um, it was like 269, now it's 206, and, you know, on-base percentage is down, slugging is down, OPS is down, 
So just overall, not a great start to him. But he has been picking up these past couple weeks, and I do expect that to continue through the break and into the second half. But, you know, just it's hard to come off an MVP caliber season and just not do well. And that's what he's kind of been doing. So, yeah. Yeah, you look at his numbers from the start of the season until the end of May, 31.1% K rate, 189 batting average. Uh, nine home runs. Um, obviously, like the power was still there, three seventy two slugging, not as high as it usually is, but it, it just what coming off of last year, like you said, yeah, it was disappointing. I'm a guy that was supposed to hit in the meat of the order and, and potentially be the Rays' best hitter, and he struggled. And and like you said, probably not going to be the same going into the second half. You look at the way he's, you know, he's really heating up now as we head into the all-star break. And I think that's exactly what you want to see. He just passed uh, his career high in home runs. He's got 18 now. Um, he hit nine more between the you know month of June and the little bit of July that we've played. He's over the, the Mendoza line. Um, WRC plus up to 110. He's really turned it around. But if you look at the first half as a whole, there's a lot of glaring issues there that, that it looks like he's, he's starting to fix. But definitely a player that, that I'd like to see more of uh, as we as we head into the second half i went with a guy and, and, and i'll say this this is a bit unfair to him uh, but in terms of the season and kind of the the expectations i had and i think the expectations the team had um i'm going with chris archer and i know he's injured um he, he was placed on the 60 day il and he's starting to throw off a mound again and don't no clue what his timetable is like um, but you, you, when you looked at this puzzle that the Rays were going to try to put together with all the innings that they had to throw this season, going back to a 162-game season without Blake Snell and without Charlie Morton, the Archer signing I was most excited about, uh, bringing a, a, a Chris Archer back that was the one of the better players on some not-so-great Rays teams for several years, a chance to be one of the pieces on a team that was expected to win a lot, and they are winning a lot now. But to see uh, him kind of have to watch from the side, and I, and I know he dealt with a lot of personal stuff too while, while he was away with injury. Um, he's only thrown four and a third innings in 2021. It just sucks. Uh, only two appearances from Chris Archer, and now you look at it, and it's like where does he fit on the roster? He's not going to be one of the guys in the rotation. You stick him in the bullpen, but like who is getting booted from this bullpen? Drew Rasmussen, maybe? Is he the first guy on the chopping block? He's not taking Colin McHugh's role because Colin McHugh is damn near an all-star. And now I'm thinking, okay, our one year with Chris Archer might like be over. Like there might be a point where it's like there's just no more room for him on the active roster. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's disappointing. Not really by any fault of Chris Archer, but it's, it's been disappointing as a fan to see the way this has kind of played out. All right, let's move on. Something happier. The Rays are a great team. We're 52 and 36. Most surprising player. Uh, I'll start us off here. I'm going with Francisco Mejia. He was one of the pieces in the Blake Snell trade and at one point was one of the top catching prospects in all of baseball. He was with Cleveland system, then goes over to San Diego. Um, Kind of tapers off there, comes up in the big leagues a couple of times never really performs um, to the, to the level that his, you know, he was a prospect for, but 
comes over to the Rays, one of the two catchers coming over in this deal. And the Rays, it feels like they really have a true catching core with two guys that can pretty much split time. He has appeared in 45 games this year, has 150 plate appearances, has gotten on base at a 322 clip, has a WRC plus at 102. And ultimately, like, I think the defense has been pretty good. Sure, the framing hasn't been as good as Zanino, but how many catchers can say that they're, they frame as good as Mike Zanino? And also, robot umpires are on the way anyway, so who needs to frame anymore? Um, <laughs> but for Francisco Mejia to, to come in, and I think uh, truly the Rays find a catcher that you're comfortable with Zanino splitting time. And I think besides the half year they had Travis Darno, that was like these three first three seasons of Zanino or first two seasons of Zanino, it's like he didn't always have that tandem guy that it's like, okay, Zanino's having an off day. Who's going to be behind the plate? You know, you had Michael Perez back there who did a fine job, but I think that also kind of made uh, Zanino's offensive uh, shortcomings a little bit more glaring. So to have a guy like Mejia mixed in the mix now too is really great. And I, and I hope he, they, they stay our catching duo for, maybe a whole nother full season, which is like a decade in Rays years. So here's the Francisco Mejia, my most surprising player of the season. Bree, who do you got? Yeah. So I have Mr. Andrew Kittredge. I love it. You know, he's had some like legitimately terrible seasons as a member of Tampa Bay Rays, like really, really bad. I mean, I'm looking at 2018, his ERA was 775 in 33 games. I mean, just some would argue he was the original opener. He like was used as like a, in, you would in a bullpen day. I was at that game like opening weekend against the Red Sox. He was like he started the first, he pitched three innings, so it wasn't really like an open before Ryan Yarbrough came in, and that was what what they would call bullpen days. But I don't know. That was kind of the genesis of the opening. Yeah, for sure. I mean. He had some nicknames going around. He was one of those guys. He'd come in and you're like, oh, God, like, please no. And now, I mean, he comes in and you're like, okay, we're solid for the next two or so innings, however long he's going to go. So, I mean, this year he's been in 31 games. He's got a 154 ERA. His whip is 0.902, which is down significantly from past years so you know I have been super impressed with him especially as we've had you know glass now go down Waka kind of get bumped out of the rotation and then back in um Archer go down we really needed those you know bolt guys to step up in him and McHugh and I mean McHugh's obviously been great as well but Kittredge I was just shocked because we've seen him be so bad but here he is so Love to see that. Hope it continues. I have a I have a strong theory with Andrew Kittredge that uh, when he has a beard, he is a lights <laughs> out amazing reliever. But when he shaves, I I am terrified and I do not like it at all. So I I think if he ever comes out like clean shaven, I'm like it's a, I'm out I'm out. Pull get somebody warmed up right now. I don't love it with the beard. The most comfortable. I sleep like a baby. Easy. Uh, the other thing about I love that selection too with Kittredge and his great season is that this is a really great uh, guy to watch and see. Like, okay, Tyler Glasnow just went down with a with a very really scary injury, 
which is a which is a uh, a kind of a UCL ligament minor tear, which is a sprain. But don't say the T word, please. <laughs> but all, all all sprains are so medical wise. That's what they are. But they are it's a lowercase T. Um, but he did not do Tommy John surgery, Kittredge. He decided to do rehab instead after the 2020 season. And he is back without going under the knife by doing that rehab. And he is pitching the best season of his career. And he's got some of the best stuff of his career. His velocity is about as high as it's ever been. So it's a really good sign of like, hey, this is a guy who can kind of talk to Tyler personally about his own experience, his own health with his own elbow and saying like, it's working for him. And that's what Tyler Glassman is doing right now. So hopefully it works just as well. Um, but it's a, it's a nice sign to be like, oh, Kittred is doing well and he's doing the same thing, which is rehab instead of surgery. So um, yeah, keep, keep pitching well, Kit. And that's making me think of Tyler Glass now coming back strong. And he's responsible, you know, all those years ago for starting our Yankees beef. So <laughs> thank you, Andrew, Andrew Kittredge. <laughs> all right, Darby, who do you have for, for your most surprising player of the first half? So in the off season, I, I, we got word of, of, a, of a signing and I was incredibly thrilled for it. And I, I could not love the signing more because he has one of the most gifable curveballs in the game. He's one of my favorite pitchers to watch because he's not a velocity guy. He's a very slow throwing pitcher, but he just works through sheer rage. Uh, <laughs> most of the time, he's a very angry man. Um, but he is 41 year old, rich Hill, Dick mountain himself. Uh, I was excited about the signing because I thought he's a guy that you can, he can pitch out of the bullpen. He can pitch as a starter and he's a guy that pitched really well with, uh, Minnesota and you may not get a lot from him, but you're just sort of like, let's just pitch well enough until you get the young guys to get here. I am most surprised because I thought rich Hill would be a really good addition to the back end of the rotation he has been like a legit ace on this team like he has pitched unbelievably well and been really effective and he's like you know giving up a couple of runs as like kind of the game goes on and you don't want to push him too past too far past the sixth but like the rays traded one of their top left-handed starters and they got a better one right now they've somehow upgraded i mean right now the numbers for a former left-handed starting pitcher of the Tampa Bay Rays, 4.99 ERA, 4.34 FIP, 0.7 F4, uh, nearly five and a half walks per nine. For young as a as a spring chicken, Rich Hill, 3.65 ERA, 4.5 FIP, 0.6 F4, and a nice 3.23 walks per nine so he's keeping the game in control he doesn't go super deep he has gone into the six like four times which is just wild he's gone into what, like eight seven. innings against kansas city <laughs> it's like he, he sometimes is just and he could have gone deeper in a bunch of these games that they pulled him right around like 50 60 pitches to just again preserve the arm uh which makes a lot of sense so he could have gone deeper in some other games they've they've done good job with that but he does kind of fill this interesting role of like wily veteran like i i love to watch rich hill starts because he'll like you know work people over with these slow curves this slow fastball and then he'll just like drop like a sidearm 
Uh, and it's, it's just fun to watch a guy that doesn't have like crazy fast stuff. Like him and Zach Greenke are just like super fun to watch. Cause it's like, they're just like, th- they're just like inventing pitches on the fly. They're like, it's kind of my curveball, but I'm just going to throw it really slow and just see what happens. And batters are just like uncomfortable. It's just, and he works very fast. That's the other thing. He's very fast. It's just like, yes, he's getting the ball. He's throwing it. He's all grunting and weird arm angles. It's great. I love it. Love Rich Hill. I'm having a ball. I've got some Rich Hill numbers, and I know we're primarily focused on the first half of this race season, but since 2015, which was Rich Hill's age 35 season, and the season he really became a starter again because he went through his early 30s, which are sometimes the best years for a pitcher as a reliever and a pretty good one at times. But since 2015, he has made 111 starts. He's appeared in 112 games. He is a 3.03 ERA, over 591 in a third innings pitched. He has struck out 10.2 batters per nine innings while only walking three batters per nine innings. He has a 107 whip in a 3.63 FIP. Also a 134 ERA plus. I'm using baseball reference right now. Uh, what a late career surge. And I kind of want to run the numbers. And I know he doesn't have as many innings uh, as maybe some of those guys. He dealt with some injuries and other things. But like what other pitchers are putting up th- like ERAs right around three since 2015? I can't imagine very many. Uh, and how lucky are the race to, to get Rich Hill and maybe his last stop in his big league career? Who knows? Uh, but yeah, he's been great. It's just showing Tampa Bay with 40 year olds. It's like the fountain of youth. They're just, it's just great. It's great stuff. I, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast before, but I'm going to say it again. But if you took Tom Brady and Rich Hill and you stuck them next to each other, uh, there's no way you would guess that Rich Hill is the younger uh, person, <laughs> um, but he is, he's younger than Tom Brady. So, all right. Last, uh, last award. We're going to do favorite newcomer. And I know, uh, a couple of our guys we've named could have fallen under that list anyways. Um, the only rule for favorite newcomer is you can't pick Wander. No Wander. We're going to eliminate him. Even you know, He's only been here for a couple of weeks anyway, so I don't know if anybody would pick him, um, but we're going to go elsewhere um, for that. Um, Darby, why don't you start us off? A lot of good options here. Um, I kind of want to go with Colin McHugh here as well, because like he's been, he was another guy that we signed. I was like, I'm so excited to see how Kevin Cash makes this work. And him and Kyle Snyder, like, what are you going to do? And he's been phenomenal. Uh, But I'm going to go with one of the rookies and the Rays coming into this season really needed to rely on young pitchers uh, to, to step up, to, to really grow up really quickly. And Shane McClanahan is just a guy who's just seemingly coming into his own right now. And becoming a, a staple of this rotation. Like he's going to be in this rotation the entire season. Um, like that's, he's not going down. He's not going to be working in anything on Durham. He's been asked to be one of the, if not the ace of the team now that Tyler Glass now is injured. And he's really giving me some 2018, 2019 Tyler Glass now vibes. And, and I say that because that was the year that Tyler Glass now with the Rays wasn't, wasn't fully realized. There was utter just lightning coming from that arm. Just perfection. Unbelievable stuff. A little hard to rein in sometimes. Didn't trust the stuff always, but definitely getting better at that with the Rays, with Kyle Snyder. But you could just see, like, this is top of the line, 
potentially some of the best stuff in baseball stuff. Now, he hasn't been perfect with the Rays, but the walks have been really under control. For a guy who, that was one of the big question marks is whether he can stay as a, as a starter, or maybe he has to go to the relief and be just a high flamethrower uh, strikeout guy in short relief because can his arm last for like five innings at a time, six innings at a time? Can he keep those walk numbers? Can he keep his command and control? The command has been really good. He's trusted his stuff. He's been striking out batters. His ERA is a very respectable four. His FIP is under that. But what's really nice is that both his XERA and his XFIP are showing even better. So under the hood, it's still looking even better than that. His results have not been quite as good as the stuff. And the command has shown. And it's it's just really impressive because I don't know if I thought Shane McClanahan was going to be as good as he has been so far. And I love to watch him pitch because this isn't a guy that he's not coming up like Blake Snell did when he was young, or even like when Tyler Glasnow was pitching with the pirates where there was just like, wow, this is great stuff. But like, I don't know if his confidence is there. I don't know what he's doing. Like he is nibbling. He is throwing all over. Like you got a, you got a 101 mile an hour fastball and you have a wipeout slider. You have a pretty good change. Like nobody can hit that if you just throw it in the zone and they want you to throw it out of the zone because that's the best way that they get you into those bad counts. They get you out of the game early. And even like today, he, he faced the Blue Jays, which is an incredibly talented lineup and a very right-handed lineup. And you have a potential MVP and triple crown contender in Vlad uh, Guerrero Jr. And it wasn't his best game, but it was one of those impressive things where he, he kept the Rays in the game. He didn't give up a lot. He battled through four innings, but it was that type of game that's like, that's the type of Rich Hill game or a Charlie Morton type of game where it's like, this is my best stuff. I'm facing adversity at adversary today, but I'm going to just by sheer will give the team a chance to win and then pass it over the bullpen. So this has been a, we're seeing him grow up right before our eyes. And this is not going to be the best we see of Shane McClanahan, but it's already very, very impressive because I could see two years from now, us having a Tyler glass now like conversation with Shane. Yeah. I, I think he reminds me a lot of, uh, Blake Snell, uh, the, not the Blake Snell that was waiting for Kyle Snyder to be named pitching coach at the big league level, uh, but the, the way Blake Snell kind of settled in after Snyder got to the big leagues. And I know that turned into a Cy Young year, and I'm not saying that Shane McClanahan needs to win a Cy Young uh, soon, but he, he definitely has the stuff to do it. But like Darby said, the confidence as well, even when he's shown emotion, when he gets pulled early from games, I, he does it in a professional way. And I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that like any, like, any other of the Rays pitchers or even Blake Snell has been like immature in the past. But I, th- I think that Shane McClanahan, he looks like he belongs in the big leagues. Like he looks like he's comfortable where he's at. And, and you can kind of see him working out the kinks in his game each and every start. And today he had faced the Blue Jays for the second time in a week. Uh, he, he faced them last weekend. So that he wasn't getting the strikeouts that he usually can. He did end up with like five strikeouts in four innings, but uh, he wasn't being, you know, didn't, wasn't able to put away batters with ease because they had just seen his stuff a week prior, but he was still confident in his pitches. He was still getting out battling. And then ultimately, you know, was, was a huge reason why the, why the Rays won today. So, and, and he's, he's a really key part of this roster. I, th- I think moving forward in, in that duel though, you had a rematch of Alec Manoa 
who who stymied the Rays bats and, and, and early on him. did to in today's too. Today's start too, he looked incredible. And the Ray, but the Rays were able to knock out Manoa faster than the Blue Jays were able to get out McClanahan and like again lineup wise the blue jays like that is their strength that is the meat and potatoes of what they got they have some of the best hitters in all of baseball one through nine and so that's just a really impressive thing to see like him be able to because it's it's tough for these young pitchers once you get exposed once batters really pick it up very quickly and to be able to survive that gauntlet again that's quickly in a week that's that's impressive Definitely. Uh, real quick side tangent. Uh, Alec Manoa is going to give us nightmares for, I think, the next eight years. He looks really, really good, and I think he's only going to get better. So uh, good luck to the Rays facing him in the AL East and all other uh, participants in the AL East for having to face Alec Manoa. All right, Bree, who do you have for your favorite newcomer? So my favorite newcomer is Taylor Walls because – I love defense. It is outside of pitching. It's my favorite thing. Um, His defense, you know, coming up, you heard all these comparisons about how he was like, you know, the Kevin Kiermaier of the infield and everything. I was like, okay, like, let me see it. And he has not disappointed at all. I mean, he is so rock solid there. And, you know, trading Willie Adamas, like this kid's coming up. They just traded their everyday shortstop to you know put you in in that spot every day so I that's a lot of pressure for you know a team that's got hopes to you know make it deep into the playoffs and he stepped up and even his first few games he never got too big at the plate his plate discipline is just incredible to watch um I mean same with Franco both of them but Walls I was just I've been blown away. He does not look like a rookie. He looks like he's been here for so long. You've already said he's one of the best um, defensive shortstops in the game already. And yeah, I mean, he looks like he's a veteran at that position and, you know, at the plate, never getting too big. He sees the ball incredibly well, very even calm dude. It seems like so got some speed as well. Just Really, really great Rays player. And then he's got that versatility aspect as well. I mean, we've only seen him at short. And I expect him to play there, you know, almost all the time. But thrilled to have him up here. I talked about it a lot last year during our playoff podcast, Instant Reactions, how you you could feel it in the postseason that Willie Adamas, and this is going to sound very cliche and baseball puristy, but was a franchise shortstop. He was going to make every play that he needed to and then some, and he was going to play every day and how lucky the Rays were to have someone like that. Maybe a type of player that they haven't had since like, uh, since Jason Bartlett. And that was only for a couple of years. Um, And so to then move on from Willie and to have a player like Taylor Walls step right into that position. It's like, even if anything happened to Taylor Walls, like you've got Wander Franco that can just slide over to shortstop. But Bree, like you said, to have a guy that can play defense at that level, and we know there's some bat there, and he really great plate discipline. Man, is he fun to watch. And he is quickly climbing the ladder on my list of, of favorite Rays players. I'm going with Colin McHugh, uh, a guy that 
they added, and I really wasn't sure what his role was going to be. He had some really good years as a starter with the Houston Astros um, and then ultimately became a really solid reliever for the Houston Astros. And he was going to pitch in Boston last year, ended up opting out of the season. He ends up with the Rays. And I'm not sure if they're going to use him as an opener, maybe even try to stretch him out into a bulk pitcher, maybe get him closer to 150 innings. I really wasn't sure. And he's adopted this multi-inning reliever role. And he struggled early on in the season before going on the IL. Then he goes on the IL and he comes back and he was probably right on the cusp of, of being an all-star. And who knows, there's still a couple days. By the time you listen to this, a couple of pitchers might've dropped out and Colin McHugh could be on his way to Denver um, because he has been absolutely incredible. 35 and two thirds innings pitched a one seven, seven ERA. And he's been worth 1.3 wins above replacement. According to fan graphs, he's got a ton of strikeouts and he's limiting the walks more than he ever has in his career. And I'm just shocked every time he goes out there and it feels like he goes six up, six down with four or five strikeouts, no matter what lineup he's facing, no matter in what game situation, he even has four starts for the Rays already this year, four opens. Um, He has been him and and Andrew Kittredge, like we mentioned earlier, have been like these like pitching Swiss army knives that you can put in, in any situation they're going to get out. So yeah, Colin McHugh, a, a guy that I have, he could have fallen under my most surprising player, uh, but he's definitely um, so far my favorite newcomer. All right, let's get into some bold predictions. Uh, we didn't, we talked a little bit before the recording about what, who we were going to pick for these awards, just so we all weren't picking the same players, but we have not discussed what our bold predictions. I've got at least one or two. My first one, I'll throw it out there and we can discuss quickly. I know this is going to be a long podcast, but Hey, it's the mid season review. What do you expect? And Darby's on. So when Darby's on, it's always going to go like an hour. And a half. <laughs> um, I think that Michael Walker is going to have a Rich Hill-esque run of dominance at some point in the second half. Uh, and I think we might already be starting to see it. It might just start now. Hopefully the All-Star break doesn't throw him off too much. Uh, but his last outing was probably the best of his season with the Rays that so far uh, he went six innings against Cleveland in a seven inning game, struck out six, walked none and, and gave up just one home run. I believe it was to the Franimal, Fran Mil Reyes, but his last few outings, he's, he's looked really solid. You go back to, he pitched five shutout against Boston. Uh, and, and again, another guy that once you, you know, once he came off the IL, he's really started to put some, some good outings together for the Rays and getting some length. For the Rays, he's gone a total in his last three outings. He's gone 14 innings. So I think that we, we talk about guys having to shoulder the load, and I think Rich Hill did it for that month. We knew he wasn't going to do that for the whole season. You're going to see some other guys step in. You're going to see some innings from Luis Patino. Shane McClanahan's going to take an extension. Even the uh, innings that we lost when, when Tyler Glass now went on the IL. So I think um, – uh, yeah, I think Michael Walker, maybe hopefully it starts now. I'm not saying it'll be a month long, but we're going to get three or four really good Michael Walker starts probably consecutively. I'll co-sign that. <laughs> I, I like that bold prediction. I mean, it's been interesting. The last like few starts, it's been uh, amazingly dominant, five, five run disaster. Amazingly <laughs> dominant, five run disaster. So I uh, would love to get back to back of the good ones. Um, but at least he's not avoiding the back-to-back bad ones. Um, there is some interesting stuff in the way he's been pitching when he pitches well. So 
you know, we'll see. I, I like that. Um, I have one that kind of backs up a, a point that Brie was making with her um, kind of favorite Taylor Walls. Taylor Walls, you may not realize this right now. He's been great on defense. We all realize that. But like he is currently in the top 10 of the defense run saved leaderboard. He has eight uh, DRS, defensive run saved, which is just two behind the leader right now, Isaiah, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. The catcher. plays about like eight different positions. Um, yeah, I think most of this is coming from shortstop. The catch, catchers do not get very well. They do not A rich man's Russell any Martin. DRS. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so Taylor Walls is already up there in the upper echelon. By the way, DRS is a counting stat similar to like war or RBIs and home runs. Whereas the more playing time you have, the more chance of accumulating that you do. So it's not like a short, small sample size can give you a huge like run, like some of the other things like batting average or on base percentage. So the fact that with 237 innings, Taylor Walls is already in the upper echelon and Isaiah kind of Falefa is at 10 at 750 innings kind of showcases that Taylor Walls is doing a lot really quickly. It's fact that is a round 40 DRS pace, the record ever for the, for a shortstop. And actually I think maybe the record ever, I think Kevin Kiermaier came closer, maybe even broke this was uh, 41 DRS by Andleton Simmons when he was with the angels in, uh, I just had it up 2017. So that was the best season ever for any shortstop defensively. And Anderson Simmons is one of the best defensive shortstops of all time. Right now, Taylor Walls is on a 40 DRS pace. I do not think he's going to get there. However, my bold prediction is that Taylor Walls is the leader, number one in DRS by the time this season ends. By a large, mar- by a margin. So Darby, I have a question for you. Is Taylor Walls the American League Gold Glove winner at shortstop this season? Oh man, I would love to do that because, but I don't think he's going to hit enough to give them that. They'll give it to somebody else because Gold Gloves are really weirdly voted on thing. But oh yeah, he should be by the time the season ends. The odds-on favorite going into twenty twenty-two would be Taylor Walls to win the Gold Glove at shortstop. All right, Bree. Now you need to throw out a bold prediction. Mine is based on not much, but <laughs> so I think that Tyler Glass now will finish in the top 10 in Cy Young voting. Ooh. I don't think he's going to win, but I think he's going to get up there despite missing some time. So if he comes back in mid-August and gets six or seven starts, that's going to put him over 20 starts for the season. It's definitely possible. And especially if he puts up the, the numbers that he was before the injury, man, I'd love that. I'm And honestly, I mean, just some of the other contenders, AL pitching, AL starting pitching has not been as good as like NL starting pitching or even as good as AL starting pitching usually is. So I don't think the field is as strong as it normally is. You know, Cole's, we'll see if Cole can get back on track. I mean, he'll still probably be a finalist, but. Yeah, I mean, I think he could do it. I'm going to double down on the uh, the uh, bold prediction I had from last offseason. 
uh, preseason bold prediction that the Rays would be uh, finish ahead of the Yankees in offense. And uh, I just want to say that uh, it's still happening. It's happening. It's <laughs> not even bold anymore. I think it's just going to happen. And because what we've seen right now so far is the Rays offense has been uh, in the top 10 of runs scored so far. They, they're doing it in a lot of different ways. Um, the thing is that we have not seen any of the big core three batters play really well at the same time. So that's the big key is that Brandon Lau's hitting really well now, but he was slumping really bad to start the season. Randy Rosarena has been up and down as well. And Austin Meadows has had some really good moments and then has kind of slumped and then back up again. So what we have not seen yet is any point in time when we really get like 20 games in a row where Randy, Meadows, and Lau are all hitting at the same time. And the Rays offense has already done pretty well without all three of them, but that's three of their biggest key hitters. If they can click at the same time, give it just like a 15, 20 game stretch, I think that'll be enough to solidify that they will be ahead of the Yankees. Um, but the Yankees always have Baltimore there to cushion their fall. Um, I, this one, I don't know. I don't know how bold it is. Uh, I think out of the group of the three center fielders that the, they started the, te- the season with, that is Kevin Kiermaier, Brett Phillips, and Manuel Margot, I think all of them finished the season on the Rays. I don't think any of them are traded or DFA'd or what have you. Um, I, I, I think that even, like, this is, a, like Darby said, it's an embarrassment of riches, but one that is you don't mind having. Vidal Brujan can play corner outfield or infield. Manuel Margot and Brett Phillips can play corner outfield. There's going to be some IL stints. Everybody should take their turn, get a, a 10-day break. I'm all in favor of that. Uh, and, and and ultimately, I think the Rays, I, I think as fans, we take this look and say, oh, you have three center fielders. Let's trade one and let's go get uh, you know a starting pitcher or what have you. I don't think the Rays front office looks at the roster like this, and I, and I think they're very much comfortable uh, taking the current group of players that they have past the July 31st trade deadline and into the pennant race. So I think, uh, yeah, if, if you're a KK, Brett Phillips, or Manuel Margot fan, I think they're all going to be here for the rest of the season. My last bold prediction, it's not really centered on the Rays. However, I think the Blue Jays are going to finish with a better record than the Boston Red Sox. Ooh, I like that. that. They are nine games behind the Red Sox at this point, so they've got an uphill climb. But, like, the Blue Jays, and the Rays are playing them now, and by the time you listen to this, that that series will be over. We we know about the lineup, and they probably have the best hitter in the American League, or at least second best hitter in the American League. But look at the performances they're getting out of Robbie Ray, who... I, I'm pretty sure on this podcast have said some very mean things about, and he is proving me wrong this year. What a season he's having through 16 starts, a three, three, six ERA, 11.4 strikeouts per nine innings. And he's keeping the walks down only 2.3 walks per nine innings. If that pitching staff can stay healthy and you still get good outings out of guys like Ross Stripling, uh, they're going to hang in there. Like I know they're only three games over 500 right now and the Rays beat them pretty handily tonight. But I, I think they're better than the Yankees. Like I do. Uh, and I, I think and I they're going to make some moves too for yeah. some relief help. And I mean, they're scary to me. They terrify me. 
Well, I, they do terrify me because every time you're, it's like, okay, who, how are they going to get through? How is any raised pitcher yeah. going to get through that, that lineup? Uh, and it seems like they had it uh, planned perfectly today that nobody was going to go through the road. McClanahan went twice through the uh, order. Uh, Kittredge went once through the order. Um, Springs did. And then Fire Eyes and closed the door. Um, the pitching has always been the problem, but they've also like, they brought in Kirby Yates, which was going to be a great signing. And then boom, yep. he's done. So I think, uh, Julian Merriweather, another guy, another really good pitcher that's that's been hurt for quite some time for them. Um, they've got other really good players, so I, th- I think it's uh, yeah, it's only a matter of time, and then the Blue Jays are going to be right up there, uh, competing in the AL East. Mm-hmm. I've got one last one. I think the Dodgers win the uh, NL West by more than eight games. Oh wow! Whoa, I love <laughs> that. Okay. Right. I, I've I've been saying it. I I I they're only a, a game and a half back now from San Francisco. That gap was like four and a half just a few days ago, and now the Dodgers are right back in it. And I, I think as the season goes on and things start to even out, we will remember that the Dodgers still reign supreme in the National League and in the National League West. Uh, and props to San Francisco. I think they're going to be in the postseason. I think they're a great team. They could, if they get past the wild card game and. I'm assuming would face the the Dodgers in that first round. They could beat them in a five game series. Anything could happen. Uh, but I think over the course of this season, the Dodgers are really going to pull ahead there. I like that prediction too, because I think that also you didn't mention the other team that everybody talks about in that division, which is San Diego. Uh, they traded for a bunch of pitching and it's, they're still like, I feel like a little thin there. Like I think they Denelson lament is a huge key factor. Pa- factor in there but he is getting hurt a lot and i very worry about his long-term health like snell just went to the il uh you darvish is really good but he did get kind of blown up today but he's still probably their best pitcher joe musgrove is really good it's one of those things where it's like a good rotation but like it there is some question marks there and when you look at the dodgers you're you're seeing like kershaw like head to head you're seeing bueller head to head even urias uh, right now is like Suddenly the Dodgers just sitting there, even with the obviously huge issues they're dealing with, uh, with their really ill-fated and really dumb choice that they made on their own to sign a very um, problematic person who is showing to be some very, uh, you know what, let's just say there's going to be some legal issues and we will hopefully not hear from this person for a good year and then let the uh, courts decide what happens with them next. But the Dodgers are still just like this team that like they, anybody that goes down, they're just like chuck another person into the like pile. Like Tony Gonsolin's back now. Uh, They're doing all this. They're gaining ground. Corey Seager, who's like an MVP candidate is just going to be like, Oh yeah, he's back uh, after the all-star break. Cody Bellinger. Like is like he was injured and now boom, and they were still winning and now he's back and hitting again. Mookie Betts has been uh, struggling at like one, 30 wrc plus like you know like for for him it's i guess a little bit of a struggle he's like scuffling as only like the 10th best player in all of baseball um yeah like the thing with the dodgers is just their depth is so so strong that it does feel like it's just this inevitable like Mm -hmm. the giants and the padres can't have injuries they can't have mistakes and they can't lose ground because like the dodgers just like just keep coming all right, any other league, around the league predictions? This is going to be, I think, close to maybe over the hour and a half mark on, on time. I honestly haven't been keeping track. So, 
uh, around the league predictions, what you mentioned with the Dodgers, I don't think uh, Trevor Bauer pitches again this year. Yeah, I'm so, and, that, and that kind of fueled my my prediction that I think the the quicker they uh, I don't want to say distance themselves because they have a lot of things to work through as an as an organization. Uh, they can't just brush it under the rug. So I don't want to use that wording, but I I, I don't know the right wording to use. But I think I think yeah, if he if he doesn't pitch this year, I think the team will be much better off. Um, and and yeah, I don't have any worries about their performance on the field. Uh, with the other collection of players that they have, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting second half. Um, uh, it's it's been, I think, if you if you had to grade the race second half, I guess we can do that to end the show. I'll give it a solid A minus, and the minus comes from pitching injuries, and so it's really nothing they can control. They're two and a half out. I don't think anybody expected the Red Sox to be this good. I thought maybe they'd be competing again, not at this level. And I honestly don't have. I don't. Uh, they don't. They don't threaten me in the long term. Uh, big picture of things. So I'll give the Rays an A minus. Closing thoughts, give, give give the Rays a, a first half grade. First half grade. You know, I, I'm going to go with an A, a tentative A, because, you know, a lot of people coming in were like, okay, Snell and Morton, you know, Snell and Morton are gone. Now Nick Anderson goes down, you know, like, what are we going to do? I mean, they've, filled that and they've had a really really solid first half then keeping it from being an a plus they're not in first place i mean pretty much because you know even with all those injuries still glass now goes down they've rel- they've covered his innings pretty well so i mean just the ability to replace guys immediately bumps what probably would be like a b plus to an a for me I like that. I I think with the expectations coming into this season, as usual, they like off the, off of a really strong season, they suddenly get wildly lowered and everybody is like, okay, well they're, I don't know what they're doing. It's confusing. And, and like national media wise, the rays are suddenly put into the, like the, I don't know, they're going to just try their best. They're probably do good because we don't know what they're doing. And, but they, they suddenly get, you know, dropped down. And they have been again one of the best teams in baseball and through the first half they've had a couple of losing streaks but in those losing streaks even as frustrating as they are you know losing four in seattle again is just like mind-meltingly annoying um even though seattle isn't bad this year it's still like what is happening there's so many like there was five extra inning games and those are just really a crapshoot at this point there was a blown save. There was one run game. They, there is a lot of losses that you could just say like, okay, maybe three of those are more coin flips and they just go the other way. And suddenly that huge losing streak is just like, eh, it's a fine, like kind of almost like 500. So even with the bad, the Rays have still had a really, really strong dominant first half. And like you said, Bree, there's been a lot of injuries. Like unlike the Red Sox who have had a, a pretty fortunate like injury free first half with like kind of everybody clicking and you're just like think like wow this is amazing and if it stays injury free maybe they'll do well you are still looking at a team that's like okay they've lost Tyler Glass now they've lost Chris Archer they've lost so many people and yet they still have not fallen apart um kind of similar to the White Sox in that way they White Sox were have lost a lot of key pieces and have still just like been chugging along but they've done it in the central 
and the Rays have done it in the East. So I'll say A minus uh, because there was, you know, a couple of losing streaks there. I, I June was a really frustrating month, but overall, I think they're set up really well for the, the second half. So pretty proud of what this team has done. Again, another year in with a lot of change, but still just churning out good quality baseball every day. That they are, and it, and it feels good. To, like watching a like a 162 game baseball season just feels like a soap opera because it's there every day. Uh, you know, there's times where you're going to get bored. There's other times where it's very exciting. Um, but last year was just such a weird blur of a season. So to have this full season back is a great uh, breath of fresh air, and, and, and I'm glad uh, that we all get to experience it together. So. That's going to do it for this week's episode uh, of Raise Your Voice. Thank you to Bree Gonzalez from Raise the Roof and Darby Robinson for hopping on. As always, make sure to head on over to DRaysBay.com to check out all of the great Raise coverage. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you after the All-Star break. <laughs>